Humanizing History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving into who these people were, what they hated, who they loved, and other less known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we are all human and make mistakes, but that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. Hello and welcome back to Humanizing History. I am Cliff. And this is your other host, Nick. We'd like to mention real quick, last week we didn't let an episode out. That was because I had some family issues. Nick had some illness issues. Yeah. So, but we're back at it. And hopefully we won't have another hiccup like this. It happens every once in a while. You know, we're not professional podcasters. Yeah. We are professional awesome people, but... Unfortunately, this is not our only career, so it's going to happen, but I'm glad you guys are still here, and we're excited for another episode. Absolutely. So this one might be a little bit of a long one, so we're going to jump right into it. Yeah, let's go ahead. Today we're going to be covering Andrew Jackson. Good old Andrew Jackson. Yes. Or battle Andrew Jackson, depending on who you're talking to. I'm in the the group that loves what he did and hates what he did at the same time. Right. Like a lot of presidents. I was just going to say that, yeah. I'm going to preface this by saying... Everybody who thinks Trump was some crazy president that, you know, if Twitter was a thing in the day, Andrew Jackson would have been kicked off like two weeks after he became president. (laughs) That's awesome. So, yeah. Without further dudes, Andrew Jackson was born March 15th, 1767 in one of the Carolinas. Okay. So in the Carolinas. Yeah. He said it was South Carolina, but both states claimed him because the area that he was in was always disputed whether it's North Carolina or South Carolina, until they had the actual boundaries drawn. Interesting. But now, still, they both kind of claim him. So, when were boundaries drawn? I thought that was a pretty early on thing. Well, the boundaries were drawn, but, you know, you walk out to the middle of the forest and go, oh, am I in North Carolina or South Carolina? Gotcha. It's one of those things. They didn't have brick walls set up, you right, know? Right, right. Uh, completely off topic, but did you know that the Four Corners monument that we all think is the Four Corners is, like, way off? You're not in all four states at once. Huh. Okay. I believe it. I've heard something about that. Yeah. I've also heard that uh, when Lewis and Clark went and went through the Americas and tracked everything, they were only off by like a tiny percentage of what we can do with today's modern technology with drawing the lines. That's nuts. Like a few feet here and there. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Three weeks before Andrew was born, his father died in a logging accident. Wow. So he was clearing the land and ended up having a, either a tree fall on him or whatever it was. It was a logging accident. So he was born as a into a single family household. That's yeah, he nuts. was born with only a mother and two other brothers. So it was just the mom to raise these three boys alone. And this is back in the late 1700s. So that's, yes. that's hard. Right before the revolution happened. Mm-hmm. In 1779, Andrew's eldest brother died of heat exhaustion. After the Battle of Stono Ferry. Okay. So this was a battle with the British. Okay. In Andrew's youth, the area that he grew up in didn't have much in the way of schooling. So he went to church, the Presbyterian church, and was taught by the leaders there. So he had different preachers, or pastors, fathers, whatever you want to call them, teaching him how to read. Okay. How to do arithmetic, things like that. Now, question with this. 
was that like an everyday thing? Was it just a Sunday thing? No, this was something that it it was very much like school. He'd go multiple times per week to learn. So kind of like what we would think today, like Catholic school. Obviously, it wasn't Catholic, but... Yes. That kind of style. From what I read, it seems like it was just like his mom went to church, you know, at this Presbyterian church. And she's like, hey, you know, there's no schools around us. Would you guys mind teaching him? Oh, wow. Okay. Pastors can read. Right. Obviously. A lot of people back then couldn't. Mm -hmm. So they picked him up, probably a few other kids and taught him to read. It's interesting is I was thinking about this the other day. My wife is a huge Little House on the Prairie fan. And in one of the episodes, one of the guys can't read. And it just kind of blew my mind that you could speak a language, but not read it. Like, I guess we're just so used to being in a culture where typically in America, most people can read and write the language. Sure. You know, especially if you were born here and were edu- educated here. It's It was just baffling to me. I was like, oh yeah, there must be people that can only speak the language, but can't read or write it. I, I, that was just weird. It was one of those eye-opening moments. Andrew was actually one of the very few people in his little town that could read. Okay. So he was often found reading the newspaper aloud in town for the illiterate people. Mm-hmm. So he'd go and meet in the town square and start reading the paper to everyone so they knew what the goings-on were. Yeah. And he even once read the Constitution. Wow. Or so it's been said mm-hmm. to his town. Gotcha. I don't know if that's just part of his folklore because there is a lot of folklore that surrounds him mm-hmm. or not. But I figured I'd mention it. Can you imagine it. how much power you would have during this time if you could read? Mm-hmm. Like you could literally say you were reading the Bible or reading some sort of document and completely forge it. Yeah. I have a letter from the governor here. Right. He says that taxes are due and to give them to me. Yeah. Like you could do so much horrible things with that power of just reading back then. Yes. So this was his schooling was in the church. This was unfortunately interrupted when the British invasion started in the early 1780s. After this, he needed something to do. So his mother urged him and his older brother, Robert, to join the local militia. Okay. Which is very popular at the time. I'd imagine. You're having a foreign... At that point, I guess, technically a foreign country invading your land. Yes. So we understand that. So when he was 13 years old, he became a mounted courier for the militia in his okay. town. Okay, cool. With his brother, Robert. One day while they were serving the militia, they were delivering letters back and forth. Okay. He was caught by a British officer. Okay. The officer captured them, brought them back to his encampment, mm-hmm. and instructed them to clean and shine his boots. To this, they pretty much stood up and gave him the middle finger. Okay. And so what did he do? Pulled out his saber and slashed him across the face. No way. Yes. So Andrew put his hand up to block it, cut his hand, cut his face, left him permanently scarred for the rest of his life. Okay, so it was the British officer that slashed. Yes. I bet it was Andrew Jackson just coming in slashing. I was like, wow. He would have done that had he had a sword. Yeah. We'll find out. So after this, the officer took him and his brother Robert and threw him in a POW camp. Wow. Now in this POW camp, you can imagine, probably not the nicest conditions. I wouldn't imagine. So a lot of people were starving to death Mm -hmm. because they didn't feed them. They were dehydrated, and illness ran rampant. One of these illnesses was smallpox, Okay. and both Andrew and his brother Robert both contracted it. Wow, okay, and they survived. They, well. (laughs) (laughs) So while they're in the POW camp, their mother was able to secure their release. Okay. Now, sources differ here on what actually happened. Most of them say that his mother was able to exchange captured British soldiers 
four captured American soldiers. Okay. And so they did this. So she came home with Andrew and Robert and some other soldiers okay. that she was able to release. On their road home, Robert ended up succumbing to his illness, smallpox. Oh, that sucks. And he passed away. Andrew, however, did pull through. Cool. Well, I was going to say is, how, how much power did his mom pull? It's like, that seems like a lot for a woman of that time. Did she have high ranking or something? I don't believe so. I really don't believe that she did. That just and seems like an odd thing, but... She was just a commoner from... I believe they were Scottish okay. or Irish. One of them. She was just a commoner. Just a regular lady. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, you know... And I guess, you know, mama bear. Yeah. Your kid's in trouble. You're going to do everything you can. Right. So that's why I wanted to mention that the sources were different, different. on that. Because okay. there's no proof of how she got him back. Gotcha. After this, Andrew got home and his mother was able to treat him and he pulled through. She decided that this was her calling now. And she was going to help the colonialist troops get healthy again when they were injured or sick. Gotcha. So her house was now open to all these soldiers that needed to be hospitalized. Gotcha. So she became kind of that nurse of the time. Exactly. Much. Okay. Yes. This was, of course, short-lived because soon after having all these people in her house, she caught cholera oh, and passed away. And cholera is nuts. Like, yes. You can die so quickly from cholera. Like, and she did. We're talking, there's cases where it's hours. Like, you'll catch oh it in the morning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I believe it's cholera. Because cholera is basically, it just flushes your system, right? And you almost end up dying of... Is that dysentery? It, it's either, it's one of those two where you could literally catch it in the morning and by the time, like the end of the day, you're dead. Man, that's awful. Yeah, and I believe it's cholera. I'll have to double check. Don't quote me on that one, but I'm almost positive it's cholera. Perfect. So at this time, Andrew's 15 years old. His father's dead. His mother's dead. His brother's dead. And his other brother's dead. Jeez. So he's now not only a, you know, orphan. He Everybody's dead. He's an orphan with no family. Yeah. Keep in mind, four of the five of his family's deaths were due to the British. The only one that he really couldn't say was his, was his father. dad. Right. So he blamed the British for the death of his entire family. And he wanted vengeance. Of course. So with nothing left for him in his hometown, he traveled north to Salisbury, North Carolina. Okay. Which I only hope and pray that it's the birthplace of Salisbury Steak. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, as, as cheap as Salisbury Steak is, because it's literally just a hamburger with sauce on it. Yeah. It's so good. It really is. Do, do you remember Furs? No. Did you ever go to Furs? Mm -mm. There used to be a place in Arizona. I'm sure they had, they were nationwide probably called Furs Cafe. Okay. And it was just a cafe. You went in, you got your tray, you put the food on it you wanted, you went down to the end of the line, they looked at it, charged you for it, and walked away. Okay. The Salisbury steak, I swear, had crack in it. Because <laughs> I could eat 10 of those things and be begging my parents to let me have another one. That's awesome. It's amazing. It's the sauce. It's so good. but It's got to be. Yeah. So once he got to North Carolina, he began an internship with lawyer Spruce McKay and found a room to stay in at the town's tavern, the Rowan House. Okay. So during the day, he was a very stand-up individual. He would go to this lawyer's office in prim and proper fashion and help him with whatever he needed help with, dealing with people, filing paperwork, yada, 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 okay. whatever he was asked. At night, he was a completely different person. Okay. One resident of Salisbury wrote, quote, 
Andrew Jackson was the most roaring, rollicking, game-cocking, horse-racing, card-playing, mischievous <laughs> fellow that ever lived in Salisbury. Perfect by day and bad by night. Yeah, that's... Well, and a lot of us do this, though. What person can say they're the same person at work that they are at home? Right, and that's totally fine. You put on... I don't want to say you put on a face, but there is a professional you, and there's a laid-back, this-is-what-you-do-for-fun... And clearly he was a bit of a rough rider kind of type. So, Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's definitely a, a man of the people. While he was in Salisbury, he joined a dance school. Okay. And he was so good that he was soon appointed the school's organizer. Really? Wow. Yes. You and wouldn't think of an army, not army, but military and somebody who's all for vengeance and partying and all that you wouldn't think of them as a professional dancer or high quality dancer you wouldn't think no. so but i mean you know there's not a whole lot to do back then so you know you can only drink gamble and horse race so much that seems like a lot but <laughs> the first event that he planned for the school was their christmas ball which okay. happened every year and this is just this lavish event that andrew thought could use a little excitement okay so after getting everything ready he invited Two of the town's most well-known and colorful prostitutes <laughs> who actually accepted the invite and showed up ready okay. to go. Now, they, why did they... I guess you'll probably talk about it, but that just seems a weird invite for a dance party. I mean, it's a ball. Did it turn into another type of party? Oh, no, okay. no. So the women were only at the party for a few minutes okay. before security noticed them and escorted them off okay. the property. This was the end of his school organizing. Right, right. This was the last one that he planned for them. This kind of sounds like, I, I know you're not a sports guy, but do you remember the Rick Pitino issue that happened at Louisville like five, six years ago? You might as well be speaking Greek okay. to me. Okay, so he was, the, he was the head basketball coach for okay. Louisville, and he got fired because there's allegations that during recruitment sessions, he would bring in or the, the school would bring in prostitutes oh, for these 18-year-old kids to try to get them to come and play basketball for him. And so he ended up getting obviously fired because it was his – he claims he wasn't part of it. But it's his program. So, you know, sure. he, it all comes back to him. It kind of sounds like that a little bit. Let me ask you this. You're big on college basketball, right? To an extent, yeah. Okay. More, more so than me. Yeah. What do you think about the players getting all the extra gifts and everything instead of being paid? So my thing with that is I believe that they shouldn't be paid directly by the school, but they should get money for their likeness. So for instance, let's say let's say the school is selling millions and millions of jerseys that have your number on it. They wouldn't be selling those jerseys if it wasn't for you making that number prevalent. So you think they should get so a cut? So I of that. think they should get a cut. Okay. Now I don't think all players should be paid because, you know, the football player whose likeness is making, you know, the school millions of dollars versus, I hate saying this, but somebody like, you know, a, a diver who isn't making the school any money, they shouldn't be paid equally. I, I think it's all about their likeness. And oh, paid I agree. That. Oh, 100%. You, you get paid because you're popular and people like you. Right. If you're selling stuff, let them have a cut. Yeah. So with, with all of his jokes and his easygoing attitude... Most of the town was shocked to hear that Andrew Jackson eventually became president. After he became president, the people in the town were saying, you know, if he can become president, truly anybody can become president. Wow. So they didn't really have much faith in him or, I don't want to say faith, but they didn't look highly upon this guy. Well, he didn't seem like a guy that was going to be president. Yeah. You know, a lot of presidents are very poised mm -hmm. and 
He wasn't. He was rough around the edges, to say the least. But I think sometimes that makes the best president. I agree. Or... Yeah, it's more like you and I. It's more like the millions of people he's supposed to represent and right. lead. But... So after studying with this lawyer, he was admitted to the bar, and so he rode to Tennessee. With him, he brought his law books, uh, some whiskey, playing cards, tobacco, and a slave girl that he bought on the way. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Just one slave girl. Just one. Okay. Didn't need a whole lot of help, just one. <laughs> now, in 1788, having been offended by a fellow lawyer, Wait Still Avery. The great name. Isn't that an awesome you name? You know, we're going to be having another kid at some point. I think we're going to add Wait Still to, uh, to the list. Jackson ended up fighting his first duel with this man. Okay. The duel ended with both men firing into the air after having made a secret agreement to do so before the engagement. This was very common at the time. Okay. It was one of those things where it's like, we have a disagreement with each other. Yeah. Let's go duel. But let's not kill each other. So we'll go out there and we'll stand and face each other and then fire in the air or fire into the ground. Just as a show that, you know, we're strong enough to do this and we're honorable enough to not kill each other. This uh, Then what's the point? To me, it sounds like a giant waste of time. If that's going to be the case, just go out and, you know, throw hands, you know? Yeah. Like, just fight. Don't... Yeah. Bring a gun into it. Whatever. <laughs> but in any case, that was his first duel, okay. right? Now, he ended up in Nashville, where he became the judge advocate for the Tennessee militia, as well as a prosecutor and lawyer for hire. He would accept anything in payment. He would accept cash. He would accept livestock, produce, and even land. Because at this time, people didn't have a lot of gold, mm -hmm. but they did have land. Right. You know what's interesting is, once again, this goes back to my wife watching Little House on the Prairie all the time. But in our heads, we think of money when things are bought or sold. And back then, and watching this show, it, a lot of... It's bartering. A lot of times it wasn't. I remember one guy was selling, I think it was something like wood or something like that. And the guy's like, I've got chickens to give you. He's like, I'm not accepting any more chickens. Everybody in this town just gives me chickens. I don't need any more chickens. So that it was just kind of like, oh, wow, yeah, this, you know, money and currency, although it's been around for a long time, that being the sole exchange is fairly new. And it still isn't the only thing, but it's the majority, the majority. by far. Yeah. So now accepting land paid off for him in spades. This guy had a ton of land. By the time he was 22 years old, he had enough land that he could have had his own county. Wow. He had a lot of land. Now, was it all in one location or was it kind of sporadic? I would imagine it's sporadic yeah. just because not everybody who's paying you lives next door to the next person. So I imagine it was patches here and there. Right, right. And that was back, I feel like there was probably a lot better land available. Like now there's still good land available, but I mean oil or all those natural resources were probably a lot more prevalent in the available land that some of it he may have gotten. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. There's still land for sale, but a lot of it, at least in Arizona, is like really mountainous. Mm -hmm. It's all on the hills mm -hmm. and you, you can't do anything with it. Right. So it's going to sit pretty much forever. Yeah. While Andrew was in Nashville, being a lawyer, being a judge advocate for the militia, doing everything he's doing, he was actually struck with Cupid's dueling bow. Okay. And fell in love with a 21-year-old, unhappily married woman named Rachel Donaldson Robards. Wow. First of all, crazy name. Yes. Second of all, going after the married ladies, the taken ones. Yes. Okay, that sounds like a stand-up gentleman. 
The two ended up becoming married after they heard that her first husband had obtained a divorce. So she was married when they met, but she was estranged from her husband. He okay, was so it was Okay, so it was they were separated, papers weren't finalized. Exactly. Okay, it wasn't like he was a home wrecker. This home was already wrecked. Yes. Okay. And so they, they ended up getting married, but it turns out that Rachel and her husband actually weren't divorced. Okay. And they found out two years later that Rachel was actually being sued for a divorce by her husband for living in adultery with another man. And Rachel was technically guilty of bigamy. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the charge of adultery or bigamy, whatever you want to call it, would continue to haunt them. Many people made remarks about Rachel which eventually led Jackson to the point where he would assault anybody who dared to insult her. Right. This was his one thing you didn't touch. And obviously there's two sides to every story, but it sounds like they didn't receive the correct information. And so they got married on the basis of something that wasn't true. And now it's haunting them for the rest of their lives. And it does. It really does. Yeah. So one of these things that's like, now you can go and look, here's the divorce license, you know, this right. is all legal. I don't know if, you know, he's just like, hey, Rachel, I've had enough of you, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And he's like, don't worry, I got a divorce. So she's like, okay, hey, I'm free and clear. Right. Or if she knew and just thought, who's going to check? Right. You know? Right. Hey, I mean, we've learned so much that everything can be forged. She could have just been like, <laughs> here's a divorce paper. What are you talking about? I have it in my hands. Yeah. And it should have been way easier back then. So the Tennessee governor, John Seaver, once made remarks about Jackson's wife and her adultery charges while he was in a political battle with Jackson. Jackson lost his mind, and the two of them pulled pistols out and fired at each other. Both of them missed, and then the fight broke out. They just went, you know, hand to hand. Of course. The two were separated before any real damage could be caused. You know what's interesting is I've heard so much... You hear it all the time, it feels like these days. Oh, politics and government, they're not the way they used to be. You know, things are so dirty now. It's like, this is the late 1700s, and there's still dirty campaigns going on. Like, yeah. this is something that has transcended governments and politics through time. And it just shows how dirty politicians can be. Yes. And bringing in... I hate it when people bring in, like, family drama into politics. Yeah. Unless it has something specifically to do with politics, it should not be. His presidency was one of the dirtiest campaigns ever. His was or people fighting against him? Well, both sides. Okay. The the battle for the presidency in 1828 was one of the dirtiest campaigns there ever was. From both sides. From both sides. And granted, I think Jackson got the brunt of it, Mm -hmm. but... You know, he did his smearing along with everybody else. And it goes back to everybody that we've talked about in politics on this podcast. It's always been like this. When we mm-hmm. talked about Lincoln, it was the exact same thing. It's yeah. just politicians hate each other and they'll use anything they can right. to get into power. Right. The governor, John Seaver, and Andrew Jackson decided to meet for an actual duel. Okay. Andrew got there and waited and waited and waited at the time. Seaver never showed up. So we thought it had thought him a coward yeah. and got on his horse and started riding back to town. On the way home, Jackson actually found Seaver on the way to the location. He was just late. Okay. So they decided to have the duel then and there. When they got down, people were yelling and screaming, you know, commotions happening. And Seaver's horse became spooked and ran off, 
carrying his firearms with it. Oh, jeez. Jackson didn't care. Jackson pulled his pistol out and began chasing Seavers around. <laughs> Seavers ended up hiding behind a tree while his second pleaded with Jackson to put the pistols away and leave without bloodshed. Yeah. This was not a fair fight. Real quick, why didn't his seconds have to fire? So, yes, the second is someone that apparently you bring to a duel with you. Mm -hmm. Each person brings their second. Right. And they make sure that the duel is fair. They make sure that the rules are clear and that, you know, it's an honorable duel. But don't they also have to take the place of the individual if anything were to happen? Nope. No? Okay. They're just there to make sure everything's fair. Gotcha. Okay. Because, you know, if it was just two guys meeting in the woods, as soon as he saw him, bam, you're dead. We'll, we'll learn about duels. Duels were different than I thought they were. Okay. There are strict rules. Yeah. We'll learn about that right now. <laughs> so his third duel was in 1806. Jackson jeweled Charles Dickinson. Okay. Charles Dickinson was a horse breeder and a horse racer. And Jackson confronted him after he heard rumors of Dickinson insulting his wife. Okay. Dickinson, stand-up guy he sounds like, apologized and said that if he said anything, it was when he was drunk and he meant no offense to it. Gotcha. So he doesn't even really remember saying anything. At least that's what he claims. Okay. So the two shook hands and left on good terms. No big deal. They had no ill will towards each other. Until there was a horse race between Jackson and Charles Dickinson's father-in-law. Okay. Irwin. They had bet on this horse race. Okay. $2,000 for the winner. Holy cow. This is a bunch of money back in the day. That's, yeah. And there was a clause that they had written that said, if your horse can't finish, you don't have to pay the 2000 You have to pay 800 Okay. Well, during the race, Irwin's horse wasn't able to finish. I don't know if he died or broke his knee or whatever happened. He right. just wasn't able to finish. And... This left Jackson pissed off because yeah. he wanted the clean race. Right. And so they had some words exchanged. Now, this made its way back to Dickinson, who didn't like the way Jackson handled his father-in-law, so he sent a messenger to Jackson to talk to him and see what actually happened. Right. The, the messenger ended up getting beaten by Jackson in oh, a tavern. Geez. This caused a small word war between the two using the local paper. <laughs> One would write in the paper and say, ah, he's a coward. The other one would write back and say, you know, your, your mother's a goat and whatever. So basically the equivalent of like a Facebook war today. Oh my gosh, yes. This is exactly what no, it was. No, not face to face. Let's just type out words that, oh gosh, I yes. hate that sort of stuff. And it was happening hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And what, what stinks is both of these men are honorable guys. Yeah. They have already met, had a disagreement and walked away. Mm -hmm. You know, with no issue. You think they'd go do that again. Right. But they didn't. So after a few exchanges, the two decided to meet for a duel. And they met outside of Tennessee, seeing as dueling was illegal in Tennessee. Illegal or was legal? It, it was illegal. Okay. So they left Tennessee. I believe they went to Kentucky. Gotcha. Okay. Now, when you do a duel, there's a coin toss. Okay. Whoever wins the coin toss gets to shoot first. Okay. Yes. So I thought duels were always, hey... Back to back, walk 10 paces, turn around, start shooting. Right. This is not the case. Okay. There's a coin toss. The first person shoots and then stands there without moving. Okay. While the next person shoots. So if you get the coin toss, you, you know, you get to aim and fire first. But then the next person gets to take as much time as they want to sit and aim at you. Right. Now, with that, at this point, were guns still pretty inaccurate? Yes. Okay. So... A sharpshooter with a pistol could group, like, four shots into, like, two inches okay. at 24 feet. 
Okay. So totally possible today. Like I have a micro pistol I could do that with now mm-hmm. that is four inches long. Right. They have huge pistols. That, yeah, they're huge. Yeah. So very inaccurate. Because I, like in today's, if you had two people that were somewhat good at shooting, mm-hmm. whoever won the coin flip was winning the duel. Yeah. Back then. Okay. So when the duel began, Jackson aimed and fired. The round struck Jackson in the chest after contacting one of the metal buttons on his shirt, broke some of his ribs, and stopped inches from his heart. Holy cow. Jackson stood there clutching his chest and bleeding, but was able to raise his pistol and return fire. Dickinson stood there honorably, waiting for the shot, as, of course, was custom. Mm Mm-hmm. Jackson's pistol misfired, so he reprimed his pistol and aimed again. On his second shot, the round found Dickinson's chest. He fell and bled to death. Now, doctors were able to get Jackson's bleeding to stop, but they told him that the round was going to have to stay there the rest of his life. Holy they cow. They can't remove it. It's too dangerous. Yeah. So, why did he get to shoot again? So, he went to shoot his pistol, a flintlock pistol. Right. He shot it, and it didn't go off. Okay. So he just reprimed it. He gotcha. didn't put more powder in another ball, nothing. He just reprimed it, shot again. Gotcha. For some reason, when that's when you said misfire, I thought maybe it shot off before he meant to. No. Okay. Now, when Tennessee achieved statehood, Jackson became its only U.S. representative, and he was at 29 years old. Wow. So all of this has happened before 30? All of this is before he's 30 wow. years old. Okay. Yeah, this is a life in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Now, while he was a representative, he was also serving as a judge in the Tennessee circuit. Okay. Jackson would occasionally take matters into his own hands instead of letting the legal system work, though, which I could see being a problem. Mm -hmm. But one instance of this was when a man that lived in Tennessee left for New Orleans, and he lived there for a year while he was working there. When he returned, he found that his wife was nursing a newborn child. Now, he's been gone a year. Yep, yep. She has a newborn. This man pulled out his knife and cut the child's ear off. He did this saying that he wanted to be able to distinguish this child from his other brats. This led the man to be arrested, of course. Of course. He was branded on his hand and thrown into jail, which the next day he escaped from. The man made it into town, right in the square, and brandished a knife and pistol and told anybody, you come try and get me, I'm going to kill you. Unfortunately, nobody dared to make an attempt to recapture him, even the town sheriff. They just, (laughs) dude, I don't know. So word made it through the town, of course, Mm -hmm. to Jackson. When word made it to Jackson, he picked up his pistol and headed to the town square. Pushed his way through the crowd, aimed his pistol at the guy and told him that you're going to jail or you're going in the ground. The man surrendered, put his gun and knife down, said, okay. And when they asked him later in jail why he did it, he said the look in his eyes said he was going to kill me. I I believe it. (laughs) And knowing Andrew Jackson... Everybody in town knew him. Yeah, he would have he done, done it. And you know what's nuts is, Andrew Jackson could have very well been like, well, you slept with my wife. This isn't my kid. But no, Jackson was, you know, what I think any man should do and go and confront the dude. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't cut a kid's ear off. The kid right. didn't do anything wrong. No. Cut your wife's ear off. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but he deserved to be in jail and Andrew Jackson knew it. Yeah. That's just interesting that nobody else, especially law enforcement, like that's your job. Go do it. Go put this guy in prison or put a bullet in his head. Well, it makes me wonder back in the day when we just had, you know, sheriffs or deputies that led towns or whatever, how much 
did people actually get away with? Because Probably quite a bit. You would think that if you didn't like somebody, you just bring them on your land, shoot them, and then get the sheriff. Oh, he was trying to come in my house. Prove right. me wrong, you know? Right. On January 10th, 1813, Jackson led an army of 2,071 volunteers to New Orleans to defend the region against the British and Native American attacks. This was the militia he was leading. Okay. Now, before he made it to New Orleans, he was ordered to halt in Natch. Natch was a part of the Mississippi Territory at the time. Okay. When he was ordered to halt, it was due to a lack of provisions and to wait for further orders. Okay. His orders soon came, commanding him to release his troops right then and there, and then they were supposed to take make their own way back home, as was he. He wrote a letter back saying that he will march the troops back to Nashville, where they marched from, and he did. I don't understand the reasoning with this, why okay. the, why someone would order him, Yeah. hey, we know you just marched down here together, uh, just leave and everyone can go their own separate ways. Like, right. To me, that, that makes no sense. Was and the, him, it made was none the either. battle won? Nope. Was it? Oh, no. Okay. They ended up going to New Orleans again, actually. But it just didn't make sense to me. Interesting. Okay. In any case. While they were on the road home, many of the men became sick and unable to march. So... Andrew Jackson decided that the men he's commanding to get off their horses and give them to the sick and injured that couldn't continue on. Mm-hmm. So he ended up walking half the way back to Tennessee wow. okay. as a commander. Mm-hmm. Leading by example. Exactly. While they were also heading back to, New- to Nashville, he purchased all the provisions for the men by himself out of pocket. Holy cow. Because a lot of them poor farmers didn't have anything. Yeah. And I assume he could afford it with all the land that he had. He was betting $2,000 on horse yeah. races. And $2,000, in my head, $2,000 is a lot today. Oh, yeah. $2,000 back then was a massive amount. Absolutely. Was, did you get a exchange rate? I didn't end up looking the exchange rate up. It's got to be hundreds up. of thousands, even it's, millions of dollars today. I don't know about millions, but this is what, 200 years ago, $2,000 had to be at least 100, 120 yeah. at least. Now, while they were traveling back to Nashville with this you know, 2,000 volunteers. Everything that he did, the way he led, the way he told his commander, no, we're not going back solo. This earned him the nickname Old Hickory because he was so tough. Like an old hickory tree. Like an old hickory tree. Shortly after arriving home from the march, Jackson ended up in yet another gunfight. Okay. This time it was with Thomas and Jesse Benton, two brothers, at a Nashville tavern. This feud had origins from an earlier duel involving William Carroll and Thomas Benton, okay. where Jackson actually served as Carroll's second. Okay. Benton blamed this failed duel, it was failed because both men survived, okay. on Jackson and vowed revenge. I don't know why it was Jackson's fault, but Thomas Benton blamed him. That, that's odd. Yeah. So as soon as Jackson heard news that the Bentons had come to town, he went to confront them. Mm -hmm. He pulled a pistol out and put it to the chest of Thomas Benton and then started walking him outside of the tavern to shoot him. Yeah. Now, Thomas's brother Jesse was in the restroom at the time. Mm -hmm. He walked out right as Jackson was making it to the door. Now, as Jackson was pushing him onto the porch... Jesse stepped out and fired, hitting Jackson. Oh, geez. So this is shot number two that has connected with Jackson. Yeah, this is the second time he's been shot. Jackson flinched and pulled the trigger, which just 
burned the arm of Thomas. It didn't hit him. It just powder burned him, yeah. right? Now, friends of both parties, because they had groups, mm-hmm. all started grabbing knives and pistols and fighting. This was a fight. I was right? just the, it sounds like an Old West bar fight. Uh, just like, a brawl. Everybody yeah. just throwing out of windows <laughs> and turning, you know, bottles into shanks. And <laughs> the piano was going... So, in the end, once all the smoke had cleared and everybody calmed down, Jackson ended up with the worst wounds, which were two more rounds left in his body. One is in the left shoulder, one is in the left arm. Not and still didn't die. Not deadly, but wow. enough to... He, he knew he'd been in a gunfight. Now, did bullets not penetrate as far so, back well, then? Keep in mind, bullets at the time are round balls. They're just okay. lead balls. Hence the name round. Actually, yes. Yeah. Um, so they don't penetrate real far, but they leave a nasty gash. I can so a imagine. lot of people ended up dying from infections afterward. Okay. But yeah, they don't. The feet per second they traveled, I can't imagine, is any more than like seven or eight hundred. Right. And today's bullets, you know, even though they're not pointy at the end, they, they've got, I mean, some actually are, mm-hmm. but you know, they they all come down to a, somewhat of a point, and that penetrates probably most of better. them do. Yeah. Well, like the forty-five caliber. The 45 ACP travels about 950 feet per second, but it's huge and blunt. It's rounded off. Right. Um, it doesn't penetrate real far, but if you compare that to like the 223, which is of course a rifle round, not a pistol yeah. round, but it's tiny. It's a, a 22 caliber round, mm-hmm. but it travels at over 2,000 feet per second. So right. the penetration is usually greater. Mm-hmm. I could talk all day about this. Yeah. In any case, now about 20 years after this incident. Mm-hmm. Benton and Jackson actually became friends. Okay. And Jackson was able to have one of the rounds removed from his arm, and he sent it to Benton, claiming it was your property and I want you to have it back. (laughs) Benton returned it to Jackson, claiming that, no, you've owned it for two decades. It's your property now. (laughs) It's been longer. It's been in your possession longer. Exactly. So shooting back in time... 1814. Shooting back in time. (laughs) Good one, Cliff. (laughs) And so that wasn't even intended. That just (laughs) happened. During the Battle of New Orleans, Jackson formed an alliance with John Lafitte. Okay. Battle of New Orleans. Was that... 1812 was that this was 1814 so it was the war of 18 this was during the war of 1812 which lasted until 1814 Jackson formed an alliance with uh, a pirate smuggler named John Lafitte who we are going to cover in a very future episode of the podcast actually maybe a very 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 future episode oh well very good yeah so we actually had a listener request for that so that will be coming soon he formed an alliance with John Lafitte and his smugglers. He also formed military units consisting of African Americans and Muskogees, which was one tribe of Indians. Okay. So he told them, hey, come fight for us against the British. And they did. He also was able to recruit some volunteers from the city of New Orleans. Now, with these, you know, with the African Americans, was he able to provide them some sort of protection from slavery or anything like that? Uh, you know, I don't know. Okay. I imagine he was. A lot of these were slaves that were freed, okay. and they were living in territories that hadn't become states yet. So gotcha. they, there was okay. no law essentially for okay. them. He did, however, receive a lot of criticism for paying the Indians and the the blacks the same amount that he paid whites. Oh, how horrible. Yes. That son of a (laughs) But good on him. Because obviously they deserve the same amount of pay. Right. 
but he received criticism for it. Now these forces that he had gathered, along with the army regulars and the volunteers from the surrounding states, all joined together under Jackson's command and defended New Orleans. Okay. And I know I've said New Orleans ten different ways already. I, I don't, I've never been there. I don't know how to pronounce it, so let the angry emails come. I don't know if it's Nolens or New Orleans or New Orleans or whatever. Yeah. The approaching British forces consisted of over 10,000 soldiers. Okay. Jackson had almost 5,000 men. And many of these were inexperienced, poorly trained, or had never held a gun before. Right. Other than, you know, for shooting a deer. Mm-hmm. No true strategic or military background. None whatsoever. And you're fighting against one of the greatest, you know, military... Well, the greatest military army of the time. Uh, definitely at the time. Arguably. One of the best ever. Spain's yeah. there, you know, but they're huge. Yeah. Now, when the fighting ended, Jackson reported 71 total casualties. Wow. Of these, 13 were killed, 39 were wounded, 19 were missing or captured. The British admitted to 2,037 casualties. And they start off with double the amount of troops? More than double. Wow. Now, of these, 291 were killed, including a general. Okay. 1,262 were wounded, and 484 were missing or captured. Uh, it's nuts. Yes. The British ended up retreating from the area. And for his leadership, Jackson was awarded a thanks of Congress and the Congressional Gold Medal. Now, between 1816 and 1818, Jackson fought against the native tribes in the Floridas. Okay. This is the same group of people that he had asked I to help him before. I was just going to say, yeah, so you use them to help you, and now you're going against them. Well, and there was reason for it. Now, remember, okay. he is a commander. He's doing what is he's told to do. Mm-hmm. But the group of Native Americans and the freed African slaves lived in the Floridas, and they would come into Georgia and raid the towns and settlements before heading back to Florida with whatever they, they gotcha. were able to obtain, whether it be, you know, food, women, supplies, you mm-hmm. name it. Mm-hmm. And this was happening on such a regular occurrence, the U.S. They government said, we them. have to do something. Right. Now, Jackson led his army into Florida and defeated the Indians and slaves with ease because he has an actual army this time. Right, right. He even went so far as to send word to President Monroe saying, quote, let it be signified to me through any channel that the possession of the Floridas would be desirable to the United States, and in 60 days it will be accomplished. Wow. This was, of course, not his orders. His orders was to go quell this and these invaders that were coming into the states mm-hmm. and attacking, but he decided to take the state in the name of the United States. So his idea was, hey, they're causing us trouble. Why not just cap- not capture them, but settle annex the land, this area. Yeah. annex it, make it part of the U.S., and then we have better control over it. Yes. This caused President Monroe's advisors to want to get rid of Jackson mm-hmm. by sending him to Russia as the American envoy. <laughs> now, former President Thomas Jefferson advised against it. His, his words were, quote, Good God, he'll bring you a quarrel before he has been there a month. <laughs> Which, knowing him, he absolutely would have. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine that? Because Russia was ended up being an absolute mess later on in the 1800s. Could you imagine bringing Andrew Jackson over there in the early 1800s? Oh gosh, it would have been an absolute mess. Now at this time, Spain owned the entirety of Florida. Okay. And they decided to sell it to the United States for $5 million. Oh, man. Yes. I wish I could. You can buy a house in, you know, Malibu for $5 million. You could have you could bought have. all of Florida back in the day. Would you have wanted Florida? Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> 
After the purchase, President Monroe appointed Jackson as the governor of the Florida Territories. Interesting. Was it more of just like a shut up, here's your piece of land, or... I'm not really sure. You you would think that with as much as he didn't like him, Mm -hmm. that it would have had to have been a punishment for him. Right. I wouldn't say a punishment, but more of, I don't want to hear from you anymore, just take this... I'm going to appease you real quick so you won't talk to me anymore. So Possibly. Okay. But now you got to think, who's going to have more contact with the president? A governor or a judge? True. You know, or a commander of an army? Typically the governor. the governor. In 1822, Jackson feared that he was on the brink of death because he would often become lethargic and the bullets that were lodged in his body would cause him excruciating pain and even cause him to cough up blood oh wow okay he also suffered from bouts of shaking but no one knows why i don't know if it was like a he had some sort of tremor disorder or something but he would just shake nerve damage from (laughs) from the bullets (laughs) lead poisoning (laughs) but in any case he decided that he was going to take it easier and rest and this turned into months and months of him resting trying Mm. to recuperate and get his strength back together He had a lot of downtime to think. Okay. And he started thinking about all the good that he's done in his life and how he could do so much more good on a federal level. Gotcha. This is where he decided he wanted to be president because he was angry at the corruption of the current administration and he hated the National Bank. So this is where he decided to run as president. Now, the first time he ran, he was a registered Democratic Republican. Okay. And he won the most electoral votes, even, with 99. Okay. How many were there at that point? At the time, you needed 131 electoral votes to win. Okay. So nobody got them, because it wasn't a two-party system back then. Gotcha. It was, there were, you know, multiple different parties. Which, God, I wish that would happen again. It should absolutely be that way now. Yes. But, whatever. Since no candidate had the necessary number of votes to win, the election would have to be decided by the House of Representatives. Yes. <laughs> I think you're going to say like a duel. <laughs> that would be that would be so much better. They ended up choosing Adams. Now they chose Adams due to a deal that he made with the Kentucky speaker Henry Clay, who said that he would deliver Kentucky's electoral votes to Adams if Adams would name him the Secretary of State. Now, in the next presidential race, four years later, of course, Jackson, who now was a Democrat, ran on his ideals of ending corruption, paying off the national debt, and returning virtue to the republic. This caused his opponents to bring up his past. Of course. Mm -hmm. This was everything from fighting, dueling, horse racing, cockfighting, and especially his marriage to his adulterous wife. Yeah. As well as him... What a whore. (laughs) (laughs) Among all of these, they also brought up his mother and father, claiming that his mother was a common prostitute brought to the U.S. by British soldiers, and his father was uh, accused of being part black. Of course, neither of which were true. Okay, so this this sounds like the tabloids you would see at the end of the grocery aisle. Yeah, it's all absolute BS. Now, despite all of this, this smear campaign that they ran, Jackson still won with 56% of the popular vote and would be the next president. And was he up against Adams again, or who was the other individual? Yep, he was facing off against Quincy. Quincy Adams. John John Quincy Quincy Adams Adams again. Okay. 
So it sounds like this John Quincy Adams could not win on his own. Well, yeah, he wasn't the people's president. He right. was barely made president the first time. Mm-hmm. And the second time, and he, had lost. To, he had to dig down real deep and real low, you know. And still couldn't rise. That's nuts. Now, even though he won the presidency, his wife ended up suffering from all the stress of the campaign and ended up having a heart attack and passed away. December 22nd, 1828. Wow. I, did it say what age? So she was 61 at the time. Okay, so I don't want to say she was old, but she wasn't a young spring chicken. you know. Of course not. He ended up burying her at their plantation, the Hermitage, in Tennessee on Christmas Eve. Oh, gosh. Merry Christmas. Dear God. So there's, there's a lot to cover. During his presidency, but I really don't want this to be another two-parter. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to condense it down as much as I can. I'm obviously not going to be able to cover everything. I'm just going to touch on some high points and okay. some low points and go from there. Okay. One of the major downsides of his presidency was the mass removal of Indians from their homes. Okay. In his first message to Congress, Jackson advocated land west of the Mississippi to be set aside for Indian tribes. Mm-hmm. These are going to be their reserved land. And on May 26, 1830, Congress passed the Indian Removal Act, which, can you think of all the acts that are passed nowadays? They're all fluffy, and they don't actually talk about what's going on in the act. Right. This literally is what it is. This is the Indian Removal Act. We are removing Indians. And there was no, like, 30 other things it did. It just removed the Indians. It's probably four pages. (laughs) Now it's like 200 pages that has, you know... 200. Put another zero on that. A ridiculous amount of pages that has so many different little ancillary things that shouldn't be involved. But yeah, this, not saying this was the right thing to do, but much more simple act. Oh yeah, well, and it should be, I believe, act should be very clear and easy for people to read, understand, and there should be no pork in it, there should be no, you know, earmarks, no nothing. It's just, this is what this act does, plain and simple, pass it, don't pass it. Right. But I'm apparently in the minority there. Now, this act authorized the president to negotiate treaties with these tribes and to buy tribal land in the east in exchange for lands further west. So he's saying, hey, I want this part. You can have that part. And we'll pay you for it. Well, no. So they didn't. They paid them with the land. Oh, We're taking this land and giving you that one. It's a fair trade. Gotcha. Land for land. Yeah. Not saying this is right by any means. Of course not. I, this is this is not. But I can see where he's coming from because he already has a history with the natives in Florida ransacking settlements and such. So you, you can see where his prejudice comes from. Well, so I'm not even sure it was his prejudice. I think it was just him knowing what you could do with land, okay. how much I can money see you that, can make that with too. land. Okay. He wanted, he didn't see the natives as using it to, you know, it's the full utmost, of, yeah. exactly, it's full full of potential. potential. So he, you know, he wanted to make better use of the land in his mind. Right. Now, was the land that he gave the natives good at all? Or Some of it was. Okay. Some of it was very good. Some of it wasn't. It was east of the Mississippi where America, you know, really wasn't there at the time. Right. And he didn't plan on expanding. That's so true. It was one of those things That's where it's true. like, we'll just give them this land nobody wants. Exactly. And we'll take the land that we already, we want. But then in 30, 40 years, everybody decides to move west and not even 30, 40 years. We're talking maybe 15, 20 years at this point. And then they get pushed even further. Even further. Yeah. yeah. 
So this act specifically pertained to the, quote, five civilized tribes in the South, the conditions being that they could either move west or stay and obey state law. Okay. Which seems somewhat reasonable, mm -hmm. but again, it was their land first. This was effectively relinquishing their sovereignty. They were no longer their own nation. You can stay and be a part of America, but you have to put up with what we say, or you can move over here and we don't care what you do. Gotcha. Many tribes moved, but a lot of them still fought to keep their land, which I stand up. Hey, absolutely do yeah. it. Many battles were fought, but ultimately, we all know the Indians were removed, and the relocated people suffered from exposure and disease, starvation, while they were en route to their newly designated reserve. Is this where we get, like, the Trail of Tears? Yes. Okay. So thousands died before reaching their destination, of course, or shortly after they got there from disease or exhaustion, and this would, like you said, eventually be called the Trail of Tears. Mm -hmm. Now, in total, around 100,000 Indians were relocated. Gotcha. But this was during and after his presidency. And wasn't it mostly Cherokee? So, no, it was a bunch. It was Cherokee. It was Choctaw. There's a whole list of them. Okay. There was the Muscogees. Okay. Um, you, you can look it up. Trail of Tears. For some reason, Trail of Tears, I always think Cherokee. But, I mean, that's it sounds like there are quite a few. Yeah. I guess I'm a little biased. My wife and my son are part of the Cherokee Nation. So, so as am I. Are you really? I am. I have part Cherokee, part Choctaw. Okay. Do you have a, Do you have your card? No, I don't have that much in me. Okay. It's just it's very small. Yeah. So my know. interesting is there's a certain and I don't really want to talk about it too much, but there's a certain uh, list that my wife's family's on, and no matter how like far separated they are, they'll always be considered Indian. Uh, yeah. Uh, Very Cherokee, cool. We so. actually have Mandy's family has a lot of Indian in it. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it's Canadian Indian, though. Okay. I don't remember the tribe, but they all have their, their card-carrying members. Yeah. So they, they have the benefits of that. They can, yeah. I believe they can actually go fish as much salmon as they want from certain places. There's no limit on it. They can go take different, you know, animals and whatever they want. Yeah. In 1833, while attending the funeral of a South Carolina representative... Richard Lawrence, or as I like to call him, Dick Law, pulled out two pistols and attempted to shoot the president. Both pistols failed. Historians end up talking about the reason they failed, and they say it's because uh, it was too humid that day for his pistols to go off. Okay. Uh, I, I don't believe that, because after this, they tested the pistols, and they fired every single time without issue. Now... Once this man fired both these pistols and they misfired, Jackson started beating the man with his cane. And he beat him so bad that onlookers were worried he was going to bludgeon him to death. Well, good. He just tried to kill you. Oh, I agree. Yeah. So the onlookers went and they stopped him. Yeah. They restrained Dick Law. And they, they just made sure that he didn't die. So, okay. So beat him with his cane. So how old is Jackson at this point? Well, this is 1833. So he's got to be... Jeez. In his 60s. At least, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> but he's, he's a man that don't take no oh, crap. Oh, I know. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> now, Lawrence, or Dick Law, offered a variety of explanations for the attempted assassination. He blamed Jackson for his lost job. He claimed that with the president dead, quote, money would be more plenty. And that he could, quote, could not rise until the president fell. And finally, Lawrence told the interrogators that he was the disposed English king, specifically Richard III, who had been dead since 1485, and that Jackson was actually his clerk. 
he was deemed insane and was in- institutionalized at the government hospital for the insane in Washington, D.C. Wow. Okay. So he was a little cuckoo. Yes. Um, hey, that's the wrong word even for me to use. But obviously, he was a little <laughs> off, unfortunately. Uh, but, man. Can you imagine if those if, if those shots hit or, you know, if the guns would have gone off? It would have been a much different thing. Yeah. yeah. So, again, after they tested these pistols, they couldn't figure out an issue. So, people started saying it was divine intervention oh God, and that, that came was... down and stopped it. And when I read that, all I could think of was Pulp Fiction. You've seen oh, Pulp okay. Fiction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. they come in and the guy shoots all six rounds around him. Exactly. <laughs> that was divine intervention. <laughs> Start quoting some fake Bible verse. <laughs> Ezekiel 25, 17. <laughs> now, a little while later in 1835, Jackson became the only president ever to pay off the national debt. That's nuts. I can't believe that that could be paid off. Yes. He did this by removing all the federal funds from the national bank and using that towards the debt and also through the sale of public land. Which I'm not sure if the land that he used to sell was some of the land they just kicked the Indians off of or mm-hmm. not, but I imagine it was. Man. Jackson had been suffering from many different health conditions, such as dropsy, constant diarrhea, okay. and blinding headaches. So, what's dropsy? Dropsy is that, uh, is where you're, we, we talked about it before, I forget who it was that had dropsy, but like your limbs will swell okay. with like that fluid that you push down and then mm. like leave an indentation yep, 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 there. Yep, yep, yep. So he dealt with this, of course, as many people did through bloodletting. Okay. And Andrew Jackson would let other people do it, but a lot of the times he didn't want to waste the time, so he'd just do it himself. He would cut his wrist veins open and just let it bleed. <laughs> How, it's just nuts how that really wasn't that long ago, and medical work has absolutely changed. After his presidency was over, Jackson retired to the Hermitage, where he spent the rest of his life. Now, knowing that his end was near, Jackson would get up and walk every day out to his wife's grave and spend hours there, mm. talking to her grave. Yeah. On June 8th, 1845... Andrew Jackson died due to heart failure okay. and complications from dropsy. These are some interesting facts, just to round out the podcast, that I found that I thought were awesome or interesting. Yeah. Jackson had three adopted sons. Oh, wow. Okay. Two of them were Indian. And the <laughs> what? Other, yeah. Sorry. So he, this is the man that drove the natives out, but he had adopted native sons. So he's all over the board, right? <laughs> he, he'll pay them the same wage as white people. But then he's like, you know, you're not good enough to stay on your land, so bye. (laughs) Actually, let me take two of your kids. So he had three adopted sons. Two of them were Indians. And the other one was his brother-in-law's son, his wife's brother. Okay. was his son, who was named Andrew Jackson Jr. Did he change the name after the adoption? That I couldn't find out. I couldn't find out if he adopted the child, like, immediately after being born Mm -hmm. and raise him as his own or if the kid was eight and he's like hey come here richard guess what you're andrew jackson jr now <laughs> so anyway yeah now while rachel was still alive jackson and rachel were the guardians of eight other children oh wow okay most of these were also rachel's family's children okay you know what's interesting is you know they attack rachel so much but it sounds like she was a loving caring wife and mother Yes. Not even just to her own kids, but to others as well. From the the small amount that I've read about her, she did seem like just a great woman. Yeah. 
Now, another weird thing is Jackson was six foot one, mm-hmm. but weighed 130 pounds. Dude, that's like skin and bone. That's thinner than me. I was just going to say, because you're about, what, you're six one, right? I'm six even. Okay. Um, and I weigh about 20 pounds more than him. Can you imagine an inch on me and taking 20 pounds off, Nick? That's nuts. And and then you think about it. This dude's beating people and yeah. shooting people. Yeah. And he, he doesn't. He had this air about him that intimidated people. Yeah. But it wasn't his size. Yeah. It was something about that he would do what he said he yeah. would do. Yeah. Well, it also may have been his look and his demeanor because one of the guys said it was just the look in his eyes yeah. that made him surrender. And man, but that's nuts. So I am an inch taller than Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not, I am not the most uh, skinny person in the world, but I'm twice his, almost twice his weight. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, remember, his wife died before he was president. Okay. Oh, see, I didn't realize it was before. I thought it was during. No, so he was elected president, but okay. he wasn't... He wasn't inaugurated Inaugurated yet, yet. Okay. yes. So okay. she died the month before he took okay. office. I think it was actually 10 weeks before he took office, if wow. I remember correctly. Okay. But since he didn't have a wife, he asked his niece, Emily Donaldson if she would serve as the first lady and the hostess of the White House. Oh, okay. Which she did. I didn't realize that was like an official position. I didn't either. I thought it was just, oh, you're married to the president, so yeah. you're called the first wife. For... But except for him, every president's been married. Really? There's never been another president that hasn't been I don't been believe so. Wow. So there's always been I a guess first marriage lady. is seen as st- stability. and yeah. yeah. He was also the only president to ever be a prisoner of war. Okay. He was the first president to be born in poverty. And I looked this up. There was actually quite a few of them that were born in poverty. Well, Lincoln was, wasn't he? Yep. You remember yeah. Lincoln was? Well, that's what's great about the United States is you can work your way up. Yes. I don't know if it's more difficult now than it was then or whatever, but yeah, we live in a country where that's possible. So I imagine back in the day it was a lot easier mm-hmm. because now you have political families that yeah. their whole life is devoted to right. this. But Whether, you, even, you still saw that back then. I mean, look at Aunt Adams. His dad was, what, second president and... That's true, and the Roosevelt's yeah. and Bush's and everything else. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It just seems like it'd be so hard now to become president when you're going up against these massive influential families with millions of dollars yeah, at their disposal and there's me you know some right, dude right. driving a pickup exactly i want to be your president yeah my first act abolish the nfa and get rid of the <laughs> atf that's what i'd run on too <laughs> in any case when he was a teenager he gambled away every cent of his grandfather's inheritance on one trip to charleston south carolina oh gambled every dime wow <laughs> He was the first president to open the White House to public visits. Okay. Andrew Jackson owned multiple horses, of course. He was a horse racer. And he also had one pet parrot that he taught to swear. Nice. And the bird made such a disturbance at his funeral with cussing, it had to be removed. No way. <laughs> so I just, that's awesome. <laughs> that, that is totally something I would do. Yep. But in any case. Jackson also believed that the electoral vote should be abolished and that both presidential and vice presidential candidates should be elected by popular vote. And the last thing is, historians believe that he was in over 100 duels, and the number has actually reached 110. That's nuts. 
So remember, a lot of these duels were probably the quote-unquote honorable duels where you go out after an argument, shoot your pistols in the air, and walk away. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them weren't. Right. So this is the end. This is Andrew Jackson's life summed up in a very, very, very short snippet. There is so much more I wanted to touch on, but again, I didn't want to have another two-parter. Right. So, Nick, was there anything interesting you learned today that you learned? I learned a ton here. Uh, I mean... The fact that I, I didn't realize that he was tied to the Trail of Tears. I feel like everything I learned, I learned, I knew very little about Andrew Jackson. All I really knew was that he was a president from the South that sometimes isn't seen as a very good president. Mm-hmm. But from what you're saying, you know, from what you've told me, I can see where the positives were, but I can also see where, you know, the negatives could also be shown here as yeah. well. And there was a lot more to his presidency than what we covered, of course, mm-hmm. like always. We don't have enough time. Right. But. What it, about you? What did you learn in the I research? learned a ton. Again, right. you know, all I knew about him was he was a seventh president and he's on the $20 bill. Right. Which, looking back now, he probably hated because he hated paper money. <laughs> all he ever wanted to use was <laughs> that's, gold. That's funny that you say that because that, you're right. He, he didn't. He hated the banks. Mm-hmm. He hated money. But now we put him on the dollar, you know, $20. On the 20 yeah. And he's actually been on a lot of different bills mm-hmm. throughout the history of the United States, but he's living now on the 20 Yeah. But the duels is what I, I find most fascinating about him. Not just the fact that he was in so many, but the fact that this guy is this scrawny little dude, and he got shot in the chest with a probably a, a I would assume it was a forty-five caliber or fifty caliber ball, mm-hmm. and he shot the dude back and killed him. Yeah. After having to reprime his pistol. And he just, he didn't take any crap. No, he really didn't. So, can you imagine, though, in today's world, a president like that running? It would never happen. It, it has happened to the last president. But I mean, he was not to shooting be, people. You know what I mean? That's true. But he he constantly shot off with his mouth. True. He, he, he said what was on his mind. He didn't go to the extremes of beating people right. and, you know, shooting people. But, I don't know, maybe... I think this was the Trump of their time. I could see that. I can see that. So, it's just very interesting. (laughs) So, yeah, folks, with that, I think we're going to sign off and be done for the week. Yeah. Check us out, too. Um, We want to hear from you guys. We're running low on ideas. We're not running low on ideas, but we really want to get you guys involved. So, feel free to reach out with us. Reach out to us with who you would like us to cover. You can get us at pretty much any social media site, or you can email us at, at uh, humanizinghistory at gmail.com. And stay tuned for next week when we're going to cover John Lafitte, who we touched on very, very briefly in this episode. Yeah. I'll be covering him and learning all about uh, the pirate. Yo ho, yo ho. A pirate's life for me. <laughs> I'm glad you knew it. <laughs> of course I know it. <laughs> you know, with kids these days. All right, with that, have a good time. Love each other. Be better to each other than someone's been to you. Yes. Have a great week, guys. Bye. Bye.